0: we're not worthy but uh, we have sacrificed him for us and help us never to uh, never forget that never to be distracted to the point where we think that we deserve that forgiveness and that grace help us to be thankful to you for every aspect of our lives help us to focus on you today Lord as the words present all the as we come. amen seated. Let's get a, you know, you can keep the lights down for now. We're going to do a little video in a second. So we are continuing our study, our third week, in the body of Christ. Uh, We had an awesome time, apparently. You guys had an awesome time uh, last week with Mr. Vincent teaching, and I heard it went really well. I was uh, busy in Houston um, watching the Phillies get beat by the Astros. So... uh, I don't know what it is about about that. Now I've been going to Phillies Astros games since like 2003 and the Astros have done really well in those early years and then they were horrible the last few years and uh doesn't matter because every single time I've gone the Phillies have lost the series. So it's I think I should stay away. I think I'm getting a little feedback. Can you just turn the monitors off here? That'd be awesome. Uh See, I guess I'm bad luck for the Phillies if you believe in luck. I don't really, but whatever. So we're getting into our third week of this study, Body of the Christ. It's uh, talking about the church. And uh, one of the lessons I wanted to do and make sure I pointed out to you guys is a little bit more of church history and a little bit more about some of the main individuals um, that really formed and shaped our history as a church. Now obviously you can go back to Acts and see the apostles and you see people that are written about in the Bible. But now recently, more like the 16th century, I really want us to kind of focus on today. There was a thing that was called that happened called the Protestant Reformation. Um, if you know anything about that time back in the 16th century, it would be the 1500s. You would remember if you ever studied that or if you've not gotten to that in history yet. What was taking place then was the Catholic Church pretty much ruled both church and government. The Catholic Church pretty much said whatever went and the people obeyed. And there wasn't much rebellion going on. There wasn't much questioning going on to what was happening in the Catholic Church. And so that was kind of the way it went. But some of the main issues uh, with the Catholic Church that we would consider wrong... Um, especially back in those days, was that they believed in a combination of faith and works. That you had to have faith in Jesus, but you also had to work really hard to earn God's love and favor and hopefully get to heaven someday. Um, another thing issue they had was that they not only considered the Bible without error, but they also believed that the Pope and the priests never sinned either. So there were some issues there where you had some leadership issues where they claimed some people in leadership actually were without sin. Which if you really look into the Bible, you see that that's not true. Even the nicest, kindest person you've ever met has sinned before. Another problem that existed was that they restricted access to the Bible. That not everyone got to read the Bible like some of you uh, have your Bibles today. Some of you have it on your phone or your iTouch or whatever. They didn't have access to the Bible, and it was actually specifically restricted to higher levels of leadership and people that could could read Latin. And so they they kept it from those who the common man who could read it and understand it for themselves. And there was other errors too, but those are some of the main ones. So today, in our continued study on church history, we're going to take a look at. One of the most iconic figures in this Reformation, where basically a group of people and eventually grew to a large number of people went against the Catholic Church and said, no, we don't believe this is true. One of the main figures we're going to look at this morning is Martin Luther, and I think we have a picture of him up there. He's a cool looking cat up there. You see him, Uh, I guess, different styles back in the day, but uh, actually that hat, you know, it's making a comeback, I think. But, uh, yeah, so there's Martin Luther. He lived from 1483 to 1547, and uh, he was one of the main figures in the Reformation. So I get on the Internet, and I'm looking for some kind of video to help me out today. And I searched Google, and this video popped up, and I was like, man, this is perfect for junior high. It's right up their alley, and actually I thought it was kind of funny too. So uh, let's check this video out, give you a little bit of history, background of this guy. All right, am I on? <clears throat> so that pretty much sums up Martin Luther's life. I know it's a little harder to hear over there. We're trying to fix that eventually. But uh, so you got a a good glimpse into Martin Luther's life. Uh, one of the things that um, happened to him, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. You can, uh, bring the lights up a little bit in the rest of the group here. Uh, Something interesting that happened to Martin Luther when he was deciding to join the monastery, he really didn't have that in mind, like to go to be a monk. But he was actually caught in a thunderstorm. And during that thunderstorm, he actually got knocked over by lightning. And he fell back on his back. And it was kind of like this experience where it's like, if you get me out of here, I'll serve you forever. And so he's talking to God and he says, if you help me escape, from this lightning storm, then I'm going to go to the monastery and serve you there. And God got him out of this storm, and 15 days later, he joined the monastery. Now, it's kind of interesting what he did there, because if you look at his life and his history, he actually will say to, would say to you, if he were here today, that it was actually wrong to do that. that. It was actually wrong for him to go join the monastery, because his dad told him not to do it. His dad disagreed with his premise behind joining the monastery just to get out of a storm. And so it's kind of interesting what happened there where his dad said no, he went anyway, and he disobeyed. So it's kind of interesting concept that he even points out that uh, even though his decision was made out of fear, and it was against his father father's will, that God still chose to use him that he sinned against his father, he sinned against God actually by going to that monastery. But because of God's mercy in his life, he was still able to use Martin Luther in an amazing way. So one lesson obviously that we can learn from his life is, you know what, there's going to be times in your life where you make mistakes and you sin. Not just mistakes, but you even willfully go against what God says and sometimes what your parents say or the authorities in your life. And the challenge, something we can learn from this, is oftentimes when we make mistakes, especially as adults, and we sin against God, we think, you know what? That's it. There's really no hope for me. I'm kind of lost. I'm gone. But God actually restored him, brought him back to a deeper walk with God than he ever had before. It's kind of interesting, some of the history there, uh, what happened. And so Martin Luther was really obsessed with uh, knowing God and being approved by God. Do any of you ever struggle with approval by maybe somebody you know, like a parent or a relative or a friend or a teacher? You ever? You don't have to raise your hand, but you ever struggle to feel like they like you or to feel like you're okay with them? I think all of us in this room would probably say, yeah, there's probably someone I'm trying to impress there's probably somebody that I'm trying to get good, and you maybe try to do good things, or you try to, maybe if it's a parent, you get your homework in on time, or you clean your room, and you feel like you're earning their favor. And Martin Luther was was no exception there. When he was in that monastery, he was obsessed with trying to earn God's favor, and he was scared to death of hell. Because what he was taught and what he believed was if he wasn't good enough, then he was going to hell. If he wasn't good enough, then the justice of God was going to come down on him like a sledgehammer and send him to hell. So he actually developed this extreme hatred for the justice of God. He actually started getting so angry. He even says, it's quoted, that he hated the words justice of God. Because... The way he thought was the justice of God was like this. Say a fifth grade guy. Give me a fifth grade guy. Raise your hand. Where's the fifth? all right? Say this guy here is at home and he's obsessed with doing what's right and he knows that the only way he is going to have a season pass to SeaWorld or Six Flags or whatever, Fiesta, Texas, I don't know. The only way he's going to get that is by doing his chores like cleaning his room Uh, you know, helping out around the house and getting his homework in on time. Well, just pretend you have a mom that really is really, really strict. So if you messed up once, then you're done. No chance. That sounds pretty strict, right? One time, you don't get your homework in on time, you talk back, you don't get your room cleaned up, you're out the justice of his mom would be like a sledgehammer coming down on him and saying, no, boom, you're done. And if you take that to a higher level, to your walk with Christ and your walk with God, Martin Luther had that feeling that he would have times like a million when it came to justice of God because it wasn't, I'm not going to get to Fiesta, Texas. It was, I'm going to burn in hell. And so he was scared because he felt God was just waiting to just lay the hammer down on him. And the justice of God was something in his life that he feared and that he hated, until he began to study a little more closely. He was so obsessed with this that one of the higher monks actually gave him the Bible to read for himself and to study for himself so that he could actually understand it and get a better grasp on what this means when it says the justice of God. A quote from Martin Luther here on the justice of God says, Isn't it enough that we miserable sinners, lost for all eternity because of original sin, are oppressed by every kind of calamity through the Ten Commandments? Why does God heap sorrow upon sorrow through the gospel, and uh, through the gospel threaten us with justice and His wrath? So he was raging with this disturbed conscience. And he meditated day and night on the words, uh, until at last, by the mercy of God, he paid attention to their context. The justice of God is revealed in it, as it is written, the just person shall live by faith. And so it's an interesting concept and an interesting passage to look at that we can see that the just should live by faith. I think we have that verse up there. Do we have the verses up there, Aisley? Aisley? Hello. We have the yep, hey. Uh, do we have the scripture up there? Uh, some verses up there. Yes, thank you. Romans one, sixteen and seventeen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith of faith, as it is written, the, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the passage that he was wrestling with. The passage that he didn't quite get, because it talks about, in, in that passage, the, the bigger passage talks about that we should live by faith, but it also talks about the wrath of God, and how the wrath of God is poured out on those who don't have God and don't have the forgiveness of sins. But the interesting part that Martin Luther finally discovered was that it was all by faith. That it wasn't this active justice of God that, like... uh Like me being God and me following a man around where I can like hover over her head because it looks like I'm hovering over her right now. And like I can just follow her around and just smash her every time she sins. It wasn't the active justice of God that's described in this passage, it's actually the passive justice of God that was actually carried out on his son, Jesus Christ. So instead of God hovering over us with a big sledgehammer every time we mess up and smashing us, It was actually God taking His Son Jesus and putting Him on the cross for us so that that righteousness could be fulfilled in Jesus, the sinless Son of God, versus our lame attempts at spirituality and goodness. And so Martin Luther finally started to discover, hey, this is actually by faith. This is actually by faith, In Jesus and what He did for me on the cross. Not what I can do for Him. And so it opened up a whole new world for him to understand. And so Martin Luther said a few things in kind of understanding this. You know, all at once he felt that he had been born again and entered into paradise itself through open gates. Immediately he saw the whole of Scripture in a different light. There's a few things, I think, statements we have up here to kind of help us understand. He says that I began to understand that this verse means that the justice of God is revealed through the gospel, but that it is a passive justice, that by which the merciful God justifies us by faith. This means that God counts us as just, righteous, perfect, acceptable through faith in the gospel. Luther said that God clothes us with justice and righteousness when he justifies us. This means that the righteousness of God counts to us is not our own, but rather we are clothed in obedience, not our own. <clears throat> so it's important for us to get this and understand that you, look up here, everybody look up here, that you as a believer, if you've trusted Christ, that whatever you've done or you think you've done to earn God's love and His favor in action is like trash is like filthy rags. Whatever you've done to try to impress God by coming to church on Sunday, by being obedient to your teachers, by even sharing your faith on mission trips and serving others, whatever you've done that's in your own power to try to earn God's love is garbage. It's trash. It's worthless. But what the Bible says is that what you couldn't do on your own Boys, listen up. What you couldn't do on your own, Jesus Christ did for you. That you are clothed in righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and so that when God looks at you, He doesn't see some middle schooler, fifth grader, who sins all the time. He doesn't see you as somebody who struggles and just can't get past this certain sin that just grabs a hold of you. That because of Jesus Christ, boys in the back, look up here, you're about to stand up. Because of what Jesus did for you guys, God sees you. And He sees His Son. He sees His sinless Son, who was nailed to a cross, was buried, and rose again three days later. So instead of seeing a dirty, nasty sinner instead of seeing someone who fails all the time at this thing called righteousness, he actually sees his own perfect son. How amazing is that? How freeing and refreshing is that? What a burden is lifted off of us when we really see the Gospel for what it is. That it's Jesus clothing himself like Jesus as a robe, putting that on over top of you. The dirty sinner. And that when God sees you, He sees His Son. What an awesome blessing that is. And so we're clothed in His righteousness. He counts us righteous. And then it gets into, and that video got into a little bit about indulgences. and We won't get into a lot of that, but indulgences were basically a way for you to buy your way into heaven. Also a way for you to pay to get other people out of hell. And Martin Luther spoke out against that as well. And that was part of the 95 thesis that he wrote. Standing up against works-based salvation, standing up against trying to buy your way into heaven, trying to earn favor with God. And so he spoke out against that. And so as we get into the last part, we, we want to understand the importance of Scripture to Luther before we go to our breakout groups. Luther had a high value of Scripture, of God's Word. And if any of you in here really want to call yourself a Christian, want to call yourself a follower of Christ, then you need to ask God to develop inside of you an extremely high value for the Word of God. Because if all you see is the Word of God is just a little part of my life. It's just a small part. I bust it out during Sunday morning or Wednesday night, or I open it up once in a while when I'm having trouble with my parents, and I start to read a little bit to try to find a verse that applies to me at that time, then you're really falling into major error when it comes to your Christian life. Because the Word of God should be your bread. The Word of God should be your life. The Word of God should be something that you look to constantly. Because it's what God has given us to speak to us. You know, a lot of young people I've heard over the years, and I did this too, was I got these questions like, you know, I want or statements like, I want God to speak to me. I need to hear God's voice. You know, I want God's direction in my life. I, I just don't know what He wants me to do. And that to me tells me, and even when I did it, it was an error on my part, to really basically say, I don't really trust that God's Word is enough for me. I don't really trust that God's Word is that powerful that it can actually teach me. That what God's Word says in giving me the Holy Spirit to teach me as I read it, you know, that's not good enough. I need something else. I need something better. I need something more audible, you know, like somebody standing next to me. Or like Monty Python does, you know, a weird guy in the clouds, you know, starting to talk It looks really old. No, God's Word is enough. And that he's given everything you need to know through his word. As a Christian, we should hold that high, just as Martin Luther discovered the importance of holding it high. And so, as we see, according to Martin Luther, God looks at us, and according to God's word, God looks at us as if we were perfect once we believe in Jesus Christ. The perfection that God counts us ours is not our own, but is Christ's gift to us. And so it's a challenge for us to think about, and I want us to pray in a minute to help us to think about what does this mean to me? And what does this salvation and this Word of God mean to me? And as we go to breakouts, hopefully you can kind of dive deeper into that. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for men like Martin Luther who have uh, stood up to leadership, uh, to have stood up to things that were wrong because they knew that that's what they should do because You've been working on their hearts, Lord. Help us to find inspiration there. But help us most importantly today to understand the Gospel for what it is, which is Jesus Christ, Your Son, dying on the cross, giving us new life as we trust in Him, rising again, showing Your power by rising again, being seated at the right hand of Your throne, Lord, that we have a righteousness that is not our own, but is because of Jesus Christ. I pray that every young person in here will understand that. If they don't understand it, help them understand even today that they can trust in Your finished work on the cross for the salvation of their souls, for a new relationship with You, for restoration of their lives, to be part of Your kingdom on this earth. Lord, I pray that you'll help them to trust you today. And as we go to our breakout groups, help us to really look into that more deeply. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, before you stack your chairs, make sure you sign up for Connect weekend in your breakout rooms. 8th grade, you need to go to the theater room. 5th grade guys, you're going to the 8th grade girls room. 5th grade girls, you're going to the 8th grade uh 6th grade guys, sorry, you're going to the 8th grade guys room. Leaders, we have questions in the back. You can take with you. So 8th grade, make sure you go to the theater room. 5th grade guys to the 8th grade girls' room. 6th grade, uh, grade guys to the 8th grade guys' room. Yo, sixth grade in the eighth grade guys room you guys make sure you pass this around get a pen sign up for connect weekend all right yeah. uh it should be the first door the next the next door it's like the next the